Well, hey, thanks again for being here this morning. We are going to jump into our message series called The Good Life, where we're, where we're looking at Matthew chapter 5 and the first few verses, which are called the Beatitudes. And uh, today we're looking at Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. So if you have a Bible and you, you want to turn there, we're going to be in that verse this entire morning. But before we jump in, I want to introduce my friend and our guest today. This is Pastor Anton Jackson. He's a pastor at Erie Shores Assemblies of God here in town, and he gets to spend the morning with us. Let's just give him a round of applause this morning. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. So, Anton, tell us, uh, before we jump in, tell us a little bit about yourself and your family and, and, and all of that. Well, I'm born and raised in Port Clinton. Uh, been here all my life, except for a couple years. Uh, I was actually born in Magruder Hospital, so yeah. for most that know, they don't even deliver babies no more. Yeah. So. He Ryan just put it on dating myself. Yeah, he just dated himself right there. I survived. So. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, born and raised in Port Clinton, uh, came through the school system. My beautiful wife and mother are sitting over there. Mm. Um, I got my oldest is at our church, but my middle one's with the middle schoolers, and my youngest is back with the kids. So awesome. I'm just honored to be able to be here and uh, fellowship with you all and just Amen. see what God has in store for us. Yeah, it's great to have him here, but more importantly, it's great to have him as one of my good friends. Yes. And so uh, it's fantastic. So in a moment, we're going to just go through a conversation and uh, just question and answer time. But before we get there, we just got to look at uh, Matthew chapter 5 verse 9. And so we're going to read that, and let's just read that all together this morning, okay? And so I'll lead us through this. Matthew 5, 9. God, God blesses, blesses those who work for peace, for they, they will be called the children of God. God. And so let's just, just let that sink in for a little bit. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. I like what the NIV says. It says, blessed are the peace makers, for they will be called children of God. I like that phrase, peacemakers. And just remember, these Beatitudes, Jesus is showing us what the good life actually looks like compared to what culture may say. And so that's why he's, he, he incorporated this in. And so what we get from this one verse right off the bat, and I love what D.A. Carson says, he says, this Beatitude does not hold out a blessing to the peaceful, nor to those who yearn for peace but rather to the peacemaker. Do, do you catch the difference there? You can be someone who's peaceful. Maybe you have a peaceful demeanor. You can be someone who yearns for peace, but what Jesus is saying is that this blessing or this happiness that comes does not go to the peaceful, does not go to those who yearn for peace, but, but yet the peacemakers. And so Jesus is trying to teach us two things here. First and foremost, that chaos is inevitable. Chaos is inevitable. You, you look at our culture, you look at our world, and there's chaos happening all around us, right? And so what Jesus is saying, he's saying, if, you're, if you follow me, if you want to follow me in life, if you have faith in me, guess what? You get to be the peacemaker in the midst of chaos. He's assuming that this chaos is going to be surrounded in our lives and we have chaos all around us, right? Yes, we do. Absolutely. In every different aspect, there's chaos. And so Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. And when we think about that, then we think about, okay, well, who is the greatest peacemaker of all? Well, of course, it's Jesus Christ, right? Amen. Throughout Scripture, he's, he's called the Prince of Peace. And it's 
through Christ in which we can have peace with God, peace with men, and peace within, okay? So let me just unpack that for just a second. And so when we, by faith, place our faith, by, yeah, by faith, place our belief and trust in Jesus, what he does is that our relationship with God has been broken, and what he does is he brings peace with our, with, between us and our relationship with God himself. And so through Christ, we have peace with God. But not only that, Jesus brings in and makes it available, this peace with others, and then through Christ, we also get to have this peace within. And so Christ is the greatest peacemaker of all, and it's through Christ that we get to then be peacemakers in our own lives. And so the question is, and before we jump into our conversation as well, what does it mean to be peacemakers? Or in other words, what does it mean to work for peace? And so I want you to think about your individual lives today. What does it mean to work for peace in your own lives? And so just a few examples. Uh, this is not exhaustive. There's more to this list. But first, someone who works for peace is someone who eases tension. I don't know if you have kids or not, but as a parent, you're almost doing this constantly, right? There's tension between the siblings, and you as a parent have to jump in, and you have to ease those tensions. Does that ever happen oh, in your family? All day. All day, okay. <laughs> Especially because you have a teenager, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. She's the boss over the younger two and the younger two are showing up. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> That's so true. I have an older sister. It's the same way. And it doesn't go away. No. She's still, she's 40 and she's still my boss when we're in town. All right. She still <laughs> bosses me around. So, um, so someone who works for peace is someone who may enter a situation and ease tension. Another one, you enter a situation, you work for peace, you jump into the chaos and you seek solutions. And so sometimes a peacemaker is someone who's in the middle of two, two aspects that are in chaos, and you're in the middle, and you're a peacemaker. You're trying to come up with a solution. Another aspect of working for peace is someone who encourages communication. How often does chaos happen in life because we didn't effectively communicate with the person that we're having chaos with, Right? Like all the time, usually if my wife and I are not getting along, it's because I failed to communicate, okay? And I'll own that, right? <laughs> Will you own that too? Oh, yeah. I okay. She's looking at me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> good, good answer. Oh, man. So encouraging communication. Another way to work for peace is what James 1.9 says, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. How often am I personally quick to speak, slow to listen, and quick to anger, right? That's usually my natural bent, and so I have to come and ask God for the ability each day to, God, help me to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. This is a peacemaker. Peacemakers follow these three guidelines. And then next, the last one, and again, this isn't the end of the list. These are just some examples. But then uh, uh, someone who works for peace attempts to learn. Someone who's teachable, someone who's moldable in life. And so these are just a few ways that we as Christians, we as people who follow Christ, we can enter into chaotic situations and we can be peacemakers. 
okay? And that's what Jesus calls for. He wants us to enter the fray. He wants us to be the ones, not to back away, but yet to jump right in and be the ones that create peace. And so, Pastor Anton, there are a few issues going on in our culture right now, especially relational issues. We have issues in the home. We have issues between families, at the workplace, in churches, and between nations. But none are more obvious today than the racial issues that are happening in the midst of our culture between different ethnicities, but not only here in America, but also around the world. So this isn't just an issue in America. This is happening all over the world. And so in light of Matthew 5, 9, we're going to be going through a conversation today of how we can take next steps in our own lives as a church so that we can be peacemakers, okay? So that we can work for peace. We can enter into those situations of chaos and be those agents of change in this community. And so, are you ready to go? Okay, he's been ready, all right? So, uh, I'm just going to go through some questions, and we're just going to have a little conversation here. So, as we begin our conversation, one thing that we often hear is the phrase, Black Lives Matters, Mm -hmm. right? And so, no matter who you are, that phrase either sparks something within you. And so, we just want to clarify what we're talking about uh, today, we're not, when we say the phrase Black Lives Matters, we're not meaning the organization. No. That's a whole separate thing. Um, and so usually when someone will lead in with Black Lives Matter, a lot of people will want to respond with, well, all lives matter. And so how do you lovingly yet truthfully respond to that thought today? Well, as uh, Pastor Ryan stated, it's not about the organization, but about the meaning behind the phrase. So for me to best put it in a understandable Christian kind of loving way, it's in essence the same parable as Jesus referring to the shepherd and the sheep. When he had the hundred sheep and one went astray or one was in danger, he left the 99 to tend to the one. If we as a church or even America has uh, put it a non-person of color perspective are the 99 and we say all lives matter or all sheep matter when the focus is on the one, Mm. is that a true statement? Mm. When in reality, Jesus said he came for those that were lost, those that were in bondage, those that were trapped in sin, those that were needing of a doctor, of a healer, of a savior. That's what he came for. Mm. That's what we as a body are here for. He said the harvest is ripe. So would it be fair for the Christian to complain when the body goes for the lost Mm. and say, what about us? No. It's encouraging to go for those that are in need. So when the world says black lives matters, it's not neglecting any other ethnicity or race, but it's putting a spotlight on an issue that the world, that America has been dealing with for generations. Yeah. Yeah, and this is nothing new. This is just brought to the forefront through our situations. And I love that idea uh, of of bringing up those sheep because, yeah, how how often do we say, oh, well, what about us when we should be celebrating that that Jesus went after that one, right? Mm -hmm. Like we want to get that one back. We want them back into the fold. And so it's the same idea. It's the spotlight on that one, and we should be there to encourage and support, right? Absolutely. And so, yeah, absolutely. As many of you guys know, Ryan and Alyssa have a, have a newborn with them. Yeah. So 
for those who have children or multiple children, we know that when there's a baby in the house or someone who's in need, because babies are in need, they cry, they need changing, they need fed, they need constant attention. Yeah. Would it be fair for the other children to complain and say, what about us? Mm. Are we not your children? Do you not love us? When us as parents know that we love you all equally, but the younger one or the one in need has a need. Yeah. So it's that same kind of sentiment. Absolutely. And that's so true. First of all, she does cry. Oh, yes. <laughs> I yeah. believe that. I've changed many a diaper. <laughs> and, uh, but it's interesting you say it, you bring that up because it's so true. Because rather than, because my kids, my, my older three, they do sometimes. They're like, oh, I miss you, Dad. But, but they get the, the purpose. Like, mm-hmm. hey, we're, we're caring for this child. And so I get to teach them in the, in the midst of that. Yeah. And so that's, yeah, that's a great point. Um, and so that's, that, that clears that up. Thank you so much for, for that answer. And so um, let's move into the, the idea of law enforcement, okay? Uh, so I know that's a huge, huge chaotic mess in our culture right now between um, law enforcement and other ethnicities. And so I know that you have a great relationship with the law enforcement in Port Clinton. So I know where you are. And so maybe you could uh, just share a word about the law enforcement in our local town and your dealings with them in your life? Well, being born in Portland is a good thing because Portland is so small that everybody knows each other. You know, if you don't know me, you you might know somebody that I'm related to or somebody I know, but it's so small and so tight-knit together that the good aspect of it is, is we don't deal with certain kind of prejudices or stereotypes because we know each other. We know what to expect. We know each other's families, and that works with law enforcement as well, because, you know, I don't get pulled over too often, because they, they run my plates, they're like, who's that black guy, but then they're, oh, it's Anton, yeah. you know, they, yeah. and they, they know I am, they're not going to pull me over, so, <laughs> yeah. I mean, so, and in that aspect, it's a good thing, but unfortunately for law enforcement, they're in a rock and a hard place, mm. because though not every police officer is bad or has bad intentions, the media and whether it's on TV or on social media, can easily put <coughs> the spotlight on the negative. Mm. And it works that same way with minorities too, whether they're black or uh, Mexicans or uh, Muslims. It, it works that same way, you know, where the media portrays only the negative because in reality, that draws ratings. Yeah. People love to see crazy stuff, I yeah. mean, you know. I grew, up, I grew up in the 90s, so all we watch is Jerry Springer. Yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> we love to see crazy stuff. You know, the, the more dramatic, the higher the ratings. Yeah. So the media is not going to portray peaceful, loving, happy, easygoing kind of stuff because they want to draw people's attention. Mm-hmm. They want the shock value. So for law enforcement, it's easy to put the spotlight on those situations where there's crazy stuff going on, you know, and same with minorities of, you know, they may show certain minorities always killing each other or drug issues or things of that way, you know, to where we fear immigrants coming in because yeah. we feel like they're all bringing drugs and criminal past or we're fearful of Muslims because they're all terrorists. You know, we begin to stereotype people based off of what the media tells us mm. and our lack of knowledge and understanding of each other as different cultures. Yeah. And, and before you've shared with me that the, the idea that um, you feel bad for law enforcement because a lot of law enforcement, uh, they, 
12 weeks, is it, to, sometimes to get into in, on the force, whereas other professions that deal with people are in, are, have a lot of training yeah. of how to deal with people, and yet they're just thrust into the mix, and they have to deal with people, and yet they're not yeah. trained enough. And so yeah. uh, A lot of people are quick to say, let's defund the police. Let's get rid of all that stuff. But in reality, it's, it's not just a police the police officer's fault in general is mm -hmm. the lack of training, the lack yeah. of experience, the lack of knowledge in how to handle people that may have different cultural backgrounds or may have mental disabilities, you know, because we've seen people that have been killed because they have mental disabilities to where they can't respond properly, mm -hmm. or those dealing with psychological issues, yeah. you know. If they were more properly trained in these aspects of how to have interactions and relations with people that are different, and that are dealing with different issues, they'll be more capable of handling the situations that they're put in. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's so great. Uh, we recently had a prayer for unity at the Lighthouse in, in Port Clinton right after the situations with George, George Floyd happened. And it was amazing to see uh, our town and the law enforcement all be there, the mayor be there, everybody come together for unity. And so we really do have a very unified city, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, it's there with law enforcement and everything, but you're right. And, you know, there's that, that aspect of, of training, of knowing how to handle those situations with people. Uh, that's yeah. tough. That's good. Uh, so now help, help us. Uh, you told us you've grown up in Port Clinton and you, your whole life. So tell us a little bit about what it's like to grow up in a white majority nation and also white majority town uh, and peninsula, if you will. And that, especially with a nation that has a ugly history of slavery and Jim Crow and stuff like that. So tell us a little bit about uh, growing up in our town. All right, yeah. Uh, as I spoke of, you know, the good things of uh, Portland being a tight-knit community, knowing each other, there are still those issues that do arise. And especially me as an African-American male in Port Clinton, you know, growing up through the school system mainly, you know, I didn't deal too much with it being older in middle school or high school, but... I know in, in the 80s in elementary school, you know, I dealt with different teachers or classmates who may have viewed me differently because of my skin color, you mm -hmm. know. I mentioned in the earlier service that, you know, I, I was a bad kid, you know. My mom can attest to that. I, <laughs> I, got, I got plenty of detentions growing up and uh, a lot of days after school. So, <laughs> yeah. but in, in reality and in hindsight of that, all those situations of me getting in fights were because someone got mad at me and called me the N-word, you know, and me being a uh, 10, 11 year old boy, you know, I'm, I'm ready to throw fists. So, <laughs> I mean, that was my natural response as an adolescent was, if you're saying something that I don't like, you know, if you're calling me a name, uh, I'm about to beat you up. Mm. And that's what resulted in a lot of my detentions because I didn't care if I was in school or not, you know, I'm about to throw fists. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> but, um, the last fight I remember ever getting in was in middle school, seventh grade. Uh, same individual wanted to call me the N-word in the hallway. So we got in a fight, and we both got suspended. And in that time being suspended, uh, I believe God spoke to me and helped me to understand that even though people may call you names or use words against you, that those words only have enough power that you give them. Mm -hmm. That if I let those words or those people have power over who I am as a person, then they control me. They know they can get a reaction out of me just based off of what they say. And it became relevant to me that 
I know who I am as a person, as an individual, and that these words aren't going to have power over my life. Mm. And as I got older, you know, I didn't get in no more fights. Uh, most people who really know me know that I'm, I'm a very peaceful, easygoing kind of person. And it's because I, I believe that, you know, that I'm not going to let the reactions or the words of others judge or control how I react as an individual. Mm. That if I'm in no physical harm, then these words have no power over me or no effect over me. And I can control the situation better by being peaceful. Mm. And I think that's what God called us all to do, is not to let the words control us, but let our actions and our responses be more powerful. Absolutely. Which ties into being a peacemaker, right? Yeah, definitely. Working for peace. And it's so interesting because we just sang that in the last song. Like you said, your identity is not in what they said. Your identity, because you follow Jesus and you have faith in Jesus, your identity is now a child of God. Mm-hmm. And it's, we can rest in that and we can have peace in that knowing that we are children of God, right? Amen. Absolutely. So that's, that's awesome. Um, man, thanks for sharing that. No I know that that's, that's, that's a good, good thing to say right there. So. Um, the next question, someone may say, well, I've never been in a a racist organization or my parents taught me right and didn't tell off-color jokes. I've worked with a black person or I have black friends. Many people could say those things, uh, but what are some subtle indicators of the hints of racism that may lurk in someone's hearts like me? Um, What would you say some of those subtle indicators are? Well, us as people in general, as humans, we all have prejudice in our hearts. It's natural. It's, it's there. Mm-hmm. We all view people based off of how we see them. Before we even know them, before we even speak to them, our first judgment of them is based off of uh, physical visual experience. Mm-hmm. So that right there creates a prejudge, which is prejudice, a prejudged notion of who that person is. Unfortunately, as humans and due to the fall of Adam, sin is our next response. Mm. We not only prejudge them based off of what we see, but our next thought is something negative. Like, I don't like the dress that person's wearing or the outfit or I don't like their tattoos or I don't like their hair or, or he's got earrings on or I don't like the color of his skin. You know, we, we begin to judge the differences of people and view them as negatives. Mm. And that's something that not just white America has to work on, but everybody, you know, black, white, red, yellow, whatever. We all have to work on these prejudices not to view them in a negative aspect, but in a positive. Hmm. Like, you know, there are those that say, well, I don't see color. Well, that's a stupid answer. So <laughs> sorry, but it's a stupid answer. But, <laughs> but it's the same as if I were to get my wife a bouquet of flowers, all these beautiful flowers, and say, oh, they all look the same to me. I mean, not really. You know, daffodils and daisies don't look alike. Roses and dandelions aren't alike. If I gave her a bouquet of dandelions, she's not going to respond the same as a bouquet of roses. That's very true. Because don't nobody want dandelions. Nope. You know, I mean, (laughs) but God created all those flowers with different colors, different smells, different looks. Because individually, they're all beautiful, but together, they're even more beautiful. Mm. That's why they create beautiful bouquets. That's why the bride carries a bouquet of flowers down the aisle, because it's beautiful. Just like we were all created different and individual, 
we're all beautiful by ourselves, but when we work together perfectly, we're the beautiful bouquet of Christ. Amen. We are the body of Christ. Yes. So an aspect of being Christian, even though we see people based off of their differences, we should look at those as positives, yeah. as their creative differences, to understand that we can learn from their differences and they can learn from ours. Mm. That if we work together and are together, we can become beautiful Absolutely. and exhibit to the world what it is to be the true body of Christ. Mm. Yeah, it's truly that appreciation of color and race and ethnicity, right? Mm. Instead of, I like how you use that word, use it as a positive. Yes. That's really good. Uh, um, the last question we have before we jump into communion today is um, what do we do from here, okay? So um, how can we be peacemakers in the midst of this chaotic situation that's going on uh, racially and relationally in our world? So what should we do about it? Well, I mean, that's a, that's a great question, and, and I think many of us, ask ourselves that question, and, and I've been asked that question by my friends that are um, you know, white, you know, they're like, well, what, what can I do to help the cause, or what can I do to help the things that are going on, and I believe that the world needs to hear this scripture of being a peacemaker, mm. but more importantly, Christians need to live that scripture of being a peacemaker. Yes. A peacemaker, as Pastor Ryan said, is not someone that just is peaceful, where I'm not racist, I don't promote racism, but yet I don't say nothing. That's not a peacemaker. That's being peaceful. A peacemaker is someone who's willing to challenge those that are in the wrong, mm. that they're willing to correct, bring attention to. I equal a peacemaker as to being a referee, because I'm in the sport. So um, a, a referee is a form of a peacemaker. If a referee was in a game, whether it's football or basketball, but he's not calling no calls, you as a coach, you as a player, are going to have some complaints. Mm -hmm. If you're on the field or on the court and the ref's not calling nothing, even though he sees it, he's just being peaceful, just hanging out, seeing what's going on on the court or in the world and not doing nothing, you're going to have an issue as a player, as a coach. You're going to begin to yell at the ref. What are you doing, ref? You know, I've done that a few times. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know? And for those who are in sports, I'm sure you've yelled at the rest a few times. I was going to say, we all have. <laughs> even, even the fans are the worst. They're, yeah. they're ready to kill the ref. Yeah. I mean, because he's not doing his job. Yep. But even if the ref is only calling the calls for one side, that's just as bad, if not worse. Mm -hmm. If he's just calling it for the opposing team and not your team, you're like, they're paying the refs. Yeah, yeah. They're paying them, you know, what's going on, you know? But it's not the player's fault. It's the ref's fault. Mm. And in this world, we are the refs. Mm. The body of Christ, according to his word, we're the refs. We're the peacemakers. Mm -hmm. So if we're not calling the calls how they should be called, are we living our lives according to how Christ called us to live? Amen. So no matter what, it's not about Republican, Democrat, liberal, conservative. Yeah. All that stuff is man-made hogwash. Mm. We are the body of Christ. We are in the kingdom of Christ. He's not a respecter of nations or a respecter of persons. He doesn't care for the United States of America. We'll, we'll go to hell just like anybody else. But if we are living as Christ commanded us to live, to be peacemakers, to call the situations as we see them, as the word sees them, mm. not according to our own personal opinions or political opinions, but 
biblical standards. Mm. Calling what is right, right, and calling what is wrong, wrong. But in love, we are doing what we're supposed to do. So it doesn't matter what our what our personal thoughts are, but it matters what God called us to do. Amen. And He said to stand up for that what is right. Yeah. To go to those that are being abused, mistreated, yeah. those that are in need, those that are widows, those that are homeless, those that are orphans. Yeah. Yeah. There's a list. That's why He wrote those beatitudes. It's to give us encouragement to let us know that if we do these things, we will inherit the kingdom of heaven. Amen. We will be called children of God. Mm. The earth shall be ours. Mm. The list goes on and on. Mm. And I'm sure he's been doing a great job teaching you guys that too. But we can not only just teach it and hear it, we have to live it. Yeah. Because faith without works is dead. Mm-hmm. Amen. Your faith is shown by your works. Mm-hmm. We call ourselves Christians to be Christ-like, but what will Christ do in this world? Amen. Absolutely. He'll be a changer. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. A peacemaker. Someone who enters into the chaos, someone who runs into the situation to create peace in the midst of this chaotic world. Now, like I said before, uh, the greatest peacemaker of all time is Jesus Christ himself, right? Amen. And he, again, created peace between, with, between us and God, us and men, and peace within. And he did that by giving his life for you and for me. And now all we have to do is, by faith, trust and believe in him and his resurrection, and we will be saved. Amen. Right? Jesus is the ultimate peacemaker, and that's who we're going to celebrate this morning. And so if you have your communion cup ready, go ahead and pull those out real quick. There's two flaps on it, and so we're going to begin with that first one. The top flap is clear, so you're, you're going for a clear little flap. And under that is the wafer on top. And so pull out that wafer. Do not eat it yet. Yeah, yeah, don't eat it. it. Hold on to it because this is a symbol. This is a symbol of the body that which Christ took on for you and for me, okay? His body that was broken, his body that was bruised. And we are so thankful that Jesus entered into our chaos. Jesus entered into our situation. We don't have to work to get to him. He came to us. And he took on human form only to give it up so that he could resurrect three days later in victory. And so we do this in remembrance of him. God, we thank you for your body in which you gave up for us that was bruised and broken for the least of these. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. As you take your cup and open the second layer, this is what we refer to as the blood. This symbolizes the blood of Christ on Calvary. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, it says that, and likewise he took the cup. And he said, this is the blood of the new covenant, the covenant of grace. And as I think on that, I think of two tellings in the Bible. And I didn't share this with the first group, so they missed out. But you guys are better, so you guys get this. But there are two powerful instances of, with Christ involving blood. One is, as they pierced his side on Calvary, 
because the blood came trickling down. But even more powerful than that was just a few days before, as he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, it says that he prayed for us so hard that his sweat came down like tears of blood. Picture that. Our Savior on his way to the cross prayed for us so much, so intently that his sweat was like drops of blood pouring down. He loved us that much that in this covenant, that in this blood, he purchased our grace. He became our scapegoat that even though we were still at odds against him, we were still his enemies, he loved us and died for us. So as we take drink of this, we accept that new covenant of grace into our lives. You may now drink of the cup. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you today, Lord, for this blood, Lord, for your sacrifice on Calvary, Lord, for loving us so much that you sent your son, Lord, a spotless, blameless lamb to die upon Calvary, to die among thieves and murderers, Lord, to be spit on, to be teased and rebuked, Lord, to be treated less than so that we can be treated more than. We thank you for that blessing, Lord, that blessing that goes on from generation to generation, Lord, that blood that still heals today as much as it did on that day on Calvary when it was shed, Lord, that every single day, Lord, we wake up with new grace, Lord, with new promise, with new hope, Lord, because not only did you die on Calvary, Lord, but you rose again on the third day, Lord, and in that we celebrate you, Lord, being our, intermi being our inter intermediary on our behalf, Lord, to speak on our behalf, Lord, to petition on our behalf, Lord. You do so much for us, Lord. Words can't even explain it all, Lord, because you are that great, Lord. So we thank you right now in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. As we leave here, we're going to go ahead and just sing just a quick song of blessing yes, over this morning. Yes. Take it away, Spencer. Sing these words. Lord, bless you.